Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Am I too loud or am I just right? I rarely get told that I'm just right. Okay. State of the church. Um, So this is the kind of sermon I stress over. I do stress once in a while. I know it's hard to believe somebody like me would stress, but I do. And uh, I stress that I'm going to say the wrong thing or I won't say it right or lovingly enough or whatever. Because anytime you're talking about the state of things, you have to talk about good news and everybody's on their game today. I like it. Yeah, you do. You have to be blunt. Have you noticed the uh, political climate today, how wonderful it is in our country? It's um, just this great sense of unity. <laughs> and uh, and I'm, I'm not in the right country, am I? Anyway, it's like mutual respect, not. And uh, I want to refrain from any comments of some of the events of the last week that have been somewhat obnoxious from my chair, but... Politicians like to blame everybody else. It's their fault. Then that group blames the other group. It's their fault. Churches do the same thing. Yes, they do. It's your fault, Don. And uh, he's saying to you when you talk to him, it's Hawko's fault. And, and it, it happens, right? Pastors, for example. And I, I, don't, I, don't try to, I try not to fall into this, but I think one time, sometimes we do. You know, it's the PayPal. You, know, you, you, you go to a pastor's meeting, you hear the woes about the people. If you're talking to the people, they're talking about their woes with their pastor. Because he just doesn't get it. You know what I mean, Randy? He just doesn't get it. And, and you're all going, see, I'm glad today he gets it. But that happens, right? Go back and forth. So I want to take Chesterton. Remember Chesterton? He was the guy, a great Christian writer. And um, he said when the newspaper had put out a, an editorial, what's wrong with our culture? What's wrong with our society? He's the one that wrote a letter in and said, dear sirs, I am. I am what's wrong. And I embrace that. And I believe every believer should embrace it. That we're part of the problem. And I'll just start with myself. What's wrong with the world? What's wrong? What's broken? Well, I've been here five and a half years now. Can you believe it? You're wondering why I'm growing mold. That's why. (laughs) But, you know, I'm part of it now. And uh, the good news, there's good news that I want to share today, encourage us with some of the progress that we've made. And uh, but there's also some things we have to address bluntly. And uh, I'm going to say this, um, people are, are somewhat pleased. If you've been here a long time and you know the long-term history with Harmony, you were pleased with where we're at, and it's not like you shouldn't be, that we're not where we were, amen? I mean, when I came, and I remember we had like 30 or 40 people at the most, and I remember the early service with like seven people in it, all sitting as far away from each other as they possibly could. It's like, uh, this doesn't look like fun, And we have come away since then, and we're grateful for that. But I want to say this, the jury is still out whether harmony will prevail into the future. We're facing, can you believe this, 2020 now. 2020 is the next signpost, right, up ahead. We just went through all your wild partying. I hope you're all sober today, right? Uh, the, The new year went through. 
And uh, now the next one is 2020. Isn't that crazy? Some of my friends that used to, and they were smart enough to know that Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. So they wouldn't try to set an exact day for when Jesus was coming. But they were like kind of doing pastoral Christian bets behind the scenes. You know, like, I think maybe around 2024. And they had reasons for that. Maybe 2026. Think about that. What if they're right? Start selling your stock, baby. (laughs) What if they're right? The jury's out. Are we ready for 2020 and the decades that are still coming? As long as Jesus tarries. Remember how the preachers used to say that? If Jesus tarries, it's still true. He's going to come back. All right, that's scripture truth. It's the thing that a true believer will set his faith on and die for because he's going to come back. He's not dead. He's alive. And he's waiting to reach, he's waiting to reinvade history. He's outside of history right now. He's ready to reinvade. He's going to come. Maybe it's soon. Are we really ready for what's ahead? And if you look at our culture, we know it's unraveling. How are we going to impact those who are victims of this? And I don't mean that they're innocent. I'm just saying we're raised in a culture where uh, we've been fed a bill of goods. And we've been lied to and we're destroying ourselves. How are we going to handle it? Are we ready, friends, for 2020? The jury's out. I'm just being blunt. From my chair, I've been in this business a long time. The jury's out. I'll tell you why. Here's some of the progress. Uh, some of the things that are kind of cool that have happened here. And it's good. One of the things I was thinking, I didn't write it in my notes, is God has brought us some new people. And uh, some of the young generation kind of disciple crazy type people that join us are kind of fun to have around, don't you think? Like, I didn't know you were praying this morning. I, I, I'm, I'm, mad, at, I'm mad at Mike because he didn't tell me. And, uh, but, you know, having, have you, if you haven't gotten to meet the McGrails, you should. Okay, they're just one. The, the Clowers are sitting. Oh, I see Mr. Clower over there. You know, we've got a new preacher in training that's in our assembly. Some of this is fun. Something that uh, is a possible blessing for the future. We've made some progress. One of the best things I think we did in the last couple of years, we decided to read the Bible together. I think that was a great choice. You don't have to confess today if you quit. I know some of you, in fact, I have a feeling quite a few of you quit. And I want to just encourage you not to. And even if you stop, pick it up again and keep going. And I would even encourage, somebody came to me and said, you think we ought to just start again? And I'm like, I'm, I'm all over that. You know, let's, let's do that. I, I've already started. Um, is that a bad idea? <laughs> but you take it at your own pace. Read through the scripture. So the daily Bible. One of the other things I love at Harmony is that I know uh, I, got, I got some report that we're a little behind on our giving, and yet there are times you manifest a profound generosity here, which I really appreciate. Uh, when when the, uh, uh, the pregnancy center people came and we collected the bottles and we scored almost $2,000 in change, man, you must have emptied every couch in the neighborhood. <laughs> but that was really kind of cool, and helping us get the van and all of that, which, by the way, is really cool-looking. 
machine out there. Stuff like that is always an encouragement. And by the way, this is a sidebar. This is something, let me just say, as a, as a pastor, I prefer to exegete Scripture and work through the Scripture. And, and this uh, new year, I'm going to finish Titus because there are a few things in Titus I still need to hit. And then after that, we're going to jump into Hebrews. And I'm really scared about that because I'm going to have to work to uh, unpack the book of Hebrews. All right. So I prefer that. And so as we move along through Scripture, God presents his truth and hopefully it gets into our DNA. All right. But on a sermon like this, I have the liberty to just do whatever I want. So that's what I'm doing. And so I might do a few sidebars here this morning, but I am trying to bring today three scriptural references that I think can instruct us depending on where we are. And even if you're a visitor here and it's the first time, it may have something for you of value that you can take to heart and let the Spirit encourage you with it. When it comes to giving, I just want to say, I'm, I praise God for disciples, for people who have made up their mind that my ultimate retirement's not here. And that's why they're crazy, you know, and they have this idea that like 10% of what I own belongs to God. In fact, all that I own belongs to God, and he only, requ- and it's not even a law, you don't need to tithe to get to heaven. You all with me? But it's, you know what it is? It's a baby step to learn how to walk by faith. It's, a ba- it's for babies. I hope you're past that. Because when you get past it, you learn the baby step. You get that discipline in your... That's like getting... I almost said potty train, but something like that. You know, you get the basics down, and then you learn to hear from the Spirit. You know, you need to meet that need. You need to meet that. You need, you need to go on a mission trip. You need to do this, that, and the other thing. Whatever it is. We start to learn. But anyway, I'm thankful for those who stick with that. You know who you are. We've seen the uh, outreach of the food pantry bearing some fruit. We've seen good work with the school. I mentioned Dan Edge with the picture up there. And we have people that have been coming to the church not only because of the outreach of the food pantry, but also the school. They've put kids in their school, and they've been aimed this direction, looking for a decent church. By the way, Embrace these brethren, you know, and, uh, and some who need to become brethren. And so this is all good stuff. Some of our leaders have been really kind of fun. Uh, deaconesses, deacons, been rising up to try to make things happen. You see some motion. It's very encouraging to me that it's not all on me because that's not the way the body's supposed to work. I know people think that. Many churches think that. You hire the preacher. He does all the church work. That's not a biblical picture, right? Not at all. And so that's encouraging to me. Elders, dialogue, staff, we've talked last, uh, last time we were together about being stretched in terms of faith, prayer, and fasting. <gasps> Is that allowed in the Baptist church? The Baptists fast? I know we eat a lot. Do, do, do we fast too? Yes. So we, we were kicking some of those things around. We have some new believers in the body. We got a trip going to Kenya this year. Kind of fun stuff. Uh, our FNF has been thinking about how do we make the facilities as, as attractive as we can, as useful as we can. You know, those, these are all good things, things that are encouraging. When I came here, one of the assignments that the ministry mapping team had left for the interim pastor, I'm not the interim pastor anymore, so I'm off the hook. 
Uh, but one of the assignments, that, that was just a little joke, Rachel. <laughs> one of the assignments was you need to establish a vision and mission statement. <clears throat> and I felt like there's no way I could know what that was when I got here. I'm only now starting to wonder if we're getting close to being able to say this is who we are and what we need to accomplish. One of the great things would be if the name Harmony becomes reality fully, that we're really, we don't look like our political climate right now, but we look like the body of Christ. That would be a good thing. So there are some of the good things that are happening. Oh, and I forgot a couple of things. This last year, we had 13 baptisms, right? And that's kind of cool. And some new believers in that mix. We took in nine new members. And by the way, so that, that's a sign we're not dead. You know, I always love that line. I'm not dead. I'm not dead yet. You know, and I'm not, and we're not. And uh, out of those nine, I think almost every single person in that new list is engaged doing something in the church. That is like, wow. That was, that was kind of cool. So I thought that was neat. All right. And let's see, what was the, I can't even, oh, yeah, attendance. I mean, God doesn't, you know, some people think that's all it's about, right? It's not about that. Although, that's a reflection of whether we're having an impact in any way, right? I think all living things grow. They mature and they grow physically. They reproduce, and churches should be the same. Our attendance, I'm not sure our records are accurate, to be honest. But uh, there's been a little bit of an influx lately, but we've kind of been stagnant for about three years. And so there's an area to think about what are we doing? What are we doing? So let's talk bad news, right? We love bad news, don't we? We're a little, bring it on. I heard it right over here. So if I make you mad today, talk to whoever that was. The bad news is we're a little bit stuck. I'm going to reprise for a moment. You ought to put that picture down. Everybody likes that picture. They're not going to listen. Okay. <clears throat> remember when I, uh, I said that we've been in a car wreck? Remember that? Those, this is only for those who've been around for a while. We had some rough history. I'm not going to reprise all of that. We don't need to leave, listen to all that again, right? But we went through a really rough time, so much so that we brought in a ministry mapping team, uh, spiritual leaders to help analyze where we're at and make some suggestions for us. And a lot of that stuff was very useful. In fact, I'm going to quote one of their conclusions a little bit later on. But what we were, what we were saying about that is we had been in a car wreck. And uh, we, are, we find ourselves, when we wake up after the wreck, in ICU. And we, you know what it's like in ICU, right? There's all these beep, beep, boop, boop, and all the tubes and all of that. And it's not a pretty sight. And so we start to make some progress. And this, this tube comes out, and this intravenous comes out, and this oxygen comes off, and we feel pretty good. And, hey, we're getting better, we're getting better. And people were like, and I'm going to liken this to running, because we do a marathon, you know. We do the 5K thing. And um, I did it once. I'll come back to that in a minute. (laughs) 
you don't just get off the couch and run a marathon, right? And so we're like, wow, all the tubes are out. We're ready to do a marathon. Well, have you ever seen anybody who just got out of ICU? You're lucky if they can walk around the unit on their own. So here we go. We walk around the unit. And people were pressuring me. Come on, let's do the, let's do the marathon. And I'm saying, we're not ready. If you try to, you're going to fall flat on your face. So here's the good news. Everybody kept saying, are we better, are we better, are we better? Yes, guess what? We left the hospital. We're home. Yay, we're home. All right, now stop clapping. Because when you go home, you are given a regimen of therapy. Remember that great stuff you had to do? Move your leg. If it's your leg, you know, stretch it out. And the person's going, ah, how do I have to do it? Yeah, every day they come in and make them do this miserable thing, right? Or the breathing one. I love those. The little balls that go up, you know. You know, you know you're lucky here. It's got to go this high and you get, you know, and you're dying. or You know what I'm saying. So we're home. Are we doing the therapy? We're going to talk about that also in a minute. So my job as a preacher is to communicate reality. Rabbi Edwin Friedman wrote a book years ago called Generation to Generation. He followed it up with another one called A Failure of Nerve. And what that book said was in a family system, it's more important that the leader, whoever that is, be clear than that he be compassionate. And we get that upside down. I'm going to just confess sometimes I get that upside down because I'm a pastor. I don't like to inflict pain. I try to alleviate pain in hundreds and hundreds of people's lives. And uh, people, everybody's got pain of some sort. So I don't like having to put the scalpel in. I don't like having to stretch the leg out and have you squeal or make you breathe or whatever that is. But the job is to speak the truth. It's more important to be clear than compassionate. And it's a useful thing. So I need to address three constituencies, three groups, concerns that I have for the fellowship at Harmony Baptist Church. Okay? First group are the people who live in Egypt. You know where the Nile is? We live in denial. All right, you know what I mean. No, well, let me help you. You can blame an elder for this pass, uh, passage that I'm going to read. I'm not going to mention who it was. There's only two. And his first name starts with a G. But anyway, you'll recognize this text. And this came, it came to him because I said, you know, in the new year I'm preaching on the state of the church address. That's all we talked about. And he texted me and said, I had this in my mind when you, I thought that was interesting. The Lord said, because his people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people. By the way, the marvelous was bad. It was bad. I'm going to judge them, is what he said. Because they draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their heart far from me, 
And their reverence for me consists of tradition. I do my duty. I do my religious stuff. I'm going to have to deal with them. I have to get their attention. There's another verse, but I don't want to go there yet. So thank you, Ryan, for holding up. We know this language, and we think in our minds immediately, we think of very ritualistic churches. We say, oh, that's what they do. We don't do that. We're not like that. (laughs) And there's the problem. We think we're okay. We're in a river in Egypt. Now, it can get really bad. The Lord, in speaking about this, recognized that there were people in the spiritual community that were just downright nasty, sneaky people. And here's the next verse. It says this. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and whose deeds are done in a dark place. They say, well, who sees us? Who knows about this? By the way, I have said to us over and over, I'm going to hammer the drum again today. Unbelief is our besetting sin. I watch the way worship happens. I watch our distractions, the way we're talking. We're dealing with everything else except giving attention to God. I don't think he's pleased. We act like he's not in the room. And guess what? He's not in the room. Oh, but God's everywhere. I know my theology. Do you follow what I mean when I say he's not in in the room? Because we're not giving attention to him the way we ought to. The way that prayer made me look up. It's like, oh, it's like a new idea. Right? So, you know, my own spirit, I'm with you in this mess. Are you all with me? I'm with you in this. The Holy Spirit punched me in the face. I hate when this happens, don't you? I'm, I'm walking through my office a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago. I look down and I see this terrible book called Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. And the Holy Spirit says, pick that up. So I did. What's wrong with the world? Dear sirs, I am. I worked in a church. uh, I I was new Christian. And before I got born again, I would go back into that. It was my home church. It's a sister church, a CB church down in Flushing, New York. And uh, I would come back once in a while, mostly looking maybe for girls, you know, at that point, honestly. And there was a girl that I think was sort of interested, and I was slightly interested. We started hanging out with a couple, and this couple would sit in church every Sunday, and they would just act like good Christians. They had their kids with them. We would hang out. We'd go to their house, and we'd have dinner or whatever. This guy had one thing on his mind, adultery. I mean, at one point, he shoved me in a closet with his wife and grabbed the girl I was interested in, went someplace, and I'm like, this should not be happening. I mean, even as a non-Christian, I I see your mouth hanging open. This should not be happening. Here's my point. They sit in church. I don't think we have anyone like this in here today, I hope. But if you are what I'm about to describe, you come up at the end and give your life to Christ because you need to be rescued. They would sit there and say, who knows? Here we are, respectable, sitting in church. Everybody thinks we're good church people, and we are as vile. And who's going to catch us? Well, that's the worst case scenario. That really is. But it's this other one of drawing near, 
the second kind. There's the deceitful kind, but then there's those who just aren't getting it. There's a stubborn refusal of the heart to take to heart what the word says or what that crazy preacher is saying. Do you remember when we did our solemn assembly, one of the things that we were spoken to about by the ministry mapping team was our inward focus versus our outward focus and the fact that we have a problem with complacency. I'm just going to be candid. I've been here five years. Most of the people who were here when I was hired, I have not seen a lot of growth. I'm just being blunt. Pretty much where you were when I got here. If you think that's okay, just keep on going. I'm not going to bother you. You go ahead and do that. But if you don't think it's okay, it's time to take what the word of God says to heart. Quit saying to yourself, I know better than that guy. Quit saying to yourself, I already know all of this already. It's obvious that you don't know it all. Our behavior shows us that we don't. So, when I hear about a new Christian stumbling because he's watching someone who ought to know better justify sinning because, after all, grace is free. We can do whatever we want. You're... Jesus had something to say about causing baby Christians to stumble. It's very ugly. So it's not a good thing. And when we think we've got the answer and the preacher doesn't know what he's talking about and I know better where the church ought to be and how it ought to go and all of that kind of thing. How do you think the prophets felt? How do you think Isaiah felt? How do you think Jeremiah felt? There was a verse, I didn't want to waste time with it today, but Jeremiah has a great passage. He says, son of man, oh no, it's Ezekiel. I had the wrong name. Got to get your names right. See, now you're out there going, see, I do know better than you, Hawk. I knew that was Ezekiel. You know, son of man, uh, you know, these people come, oh, he's preaching today. Let's go hear him. They come and they listen. What happens? But all all you are to them is a violin solo. All you are is a rock concert. They're just entertained. They have no intention of doing anything that you say. Let me just say this. You need to ask yourself, is that me? I know how they felt a lot. I'm not going to address this again unless the scripture brings it up. If the scripture brings it up, I have to preach it. I'm not going to go after this again. The only time I'm going to come after somebody is when your complacency is blocking the kingdom from going forward here or affecting somebody's life negatively here. Then I will be visiting you, and you may not like me after that. I got a picture for you. There was an article in World Magazine, 9-2017. This is Pepper the Robot Priest. This is Japan. There is a shortage of human priests to do funerals. And guess what? Everybody's going to die. And so in Japan, if you want to get a human priest... Uh, you have to pay about $2,200. Things are much more expensive in Japan. Pray for your Japanese missionaries. 
But you can get this robot priest for $450. It's a ganga. I'm afraid I'm giving some people ideas this morning. It might not be a good idea for me. Because the priest goes, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace, right? And you go, oh, good, I've been to church, praise the Lord. What's the point? Who cares what he says? He's just doing, he's an idiot. He just keeps doing this, saying the same old junk over and over again, right? So if I draw near with my lips, but not with my heart, I go, yeah, yeah. I'm not personally offended. You do what you want. I'm just saying, do you really want to meet Jesus with that on your record? Or are you going to say, okay, is, is that me? I have to ask myself once in a while, not the robot. That's, I know that's not me. Well, I hope that's not me. Why don't you take him down? Uh, <laughs> drawing near with my lips without the heart, right? And I don't, I'm not talking legalism. Like, there are some days I come that I'm like, I'm having a hard time getting it. I get all that. You know what I mean? We all go through that. But am I doing, one of the most dangerous things we do sometimes is communion, right? It's like, oh, let's just get, tag it on the end of the service, whatever, get through it. So you have to ask that for yourself. And by the way, the saints who get out of that and become alive in Christ really annoy the people who give lip service. They really annoy you. They really do. So we're going to move on to the second group. And most of us, I think, are, are mixed in these things. And by the way, the, the groups are kind of fluid. You can go in and out of like that, right? Depending on where you're at. And sometimes we're stale and sometimes we're lively and God loves us anyway. Thank you, Jesus, right? He does. I'm going to read something to um, kind of put things in contrast and make it um, alive, if you will. Our um, deaconess has started this class on the forgotten God. Anybody know what that's about? It's about somebody. The Holy Spirit. The author's name is Francis Chan. This is another book by Francis Chan. One of my staff, uh, won't mention any names, Tim, but he, he gave me this book to read. It's been taking me a while to get through it. But listen to this. If you don't know who Francis Chan is, I mean, he's one of the, the up-and-coming new generation leaders, and he's already getting old. You know what I mean? He's old. Can I be candid? Uh, his style is like millennial. I'm like, nah, it doesn't work for me that much. You know, it's like mm, groovy, edgy language. I can only tell you, I thank God that he has raised up guys like this to speak to the church. Commands versus expectations. This is called letters to the church. Like maybe we are getting some things wrong. What do you think? Okay, so listen. There's a simple exercise I walk through with church leaders. First, I have them list all the things that people expect from their church. They usually list obvious things like a really good service, strong age-specific ministries, a certain style, volume, length of singing, a well-communicated sermon, sorry, Conveniences such as parking, a clean church building, coffee, <laughs> child care. 
Then I have them list the commands God gave the church in Scripture. Uh Uh-oh. Usually they mention commands like, love one another as I've loved you. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Make disciples of all nations. Bear one another's burdens. And then I ask them, what would upset people more? If the church didn't provide the things from the first list or the church didn't do the things in the second list? Anybody want to guess what the answer is? Don't you hate me? No, you can blame him. You hate him. Hate him. I could go on and on. He goes for pages and he goes, I could go on and on about how those who complain about dress, youth ministry. Did you hear what I just said? Dress, youth ministry, service times are also the same people who have not shared their faith in months or years and couldn't care less about making disciples of the billions of people who have no idea who Jesus is. So, maybe we need to fix some things. The second group is stuck not doing their therapy so that they can run the race. The race that we want to run is being a kingdom people. If the scripture is telling us the truth, which it is, go and make disciples of all nations, that's the primary test of whether we're doing well or not. And too much of that work is falling to too few people. So we need to look outwardly instead of inwardly. Maybe some forward motion. Running the 5K, can't do it immediately. I wanted to run. I was my first year here, and I heard they're doing a 5K, and I thought, okay, I know I've got mileage on me, but I'm going to try this. So I got off the web, Couch to 5K Training. Isn't that a great title? Couch to 5... And I'm not a couch potato, but Couch to 5K. So I started it, and you start with little incremental, right? You do a a fast walk, and then you jog for like 30 seconds, and then you do a walk, and then you jog for 30 seconds, and like, you know, the first day it's like... (laughs) But lo and behold... Three weeks later, I'm running 5K consistently all the way through three times a week. Which, by the way, I want to get back to. Shame on me. That's one of the things I'm convicted about. I need to get back to doing that. But not, you don't have to do that. That's just my thing. All right? And I don't love running. Can I be blunt? I don't love it. It's one of those things you've got to do, like the dishes. I don't love it. But I do it. Because my wife tells me to. No, I'm not. Thank you. That's where we're at. We're on the couch. We have to start getting the the leg going. Then we have to get up, get our aerobics up. We have to start moving, moving, moving. So we are actually interested in bringing other people into the kingdom. It's going to take some therapy. It's going to take us getting off our self-focus, which we are stuck in. Great article. People are dying in quest for the perfect selfie. Our interest in capturing selfies 
I'm sure glad I don't have that problem, has introduced a new problem, a rise in selfie deaths, a new study suggests. Many cases are not even reported, but researchers advise the creation of no selfie zones at high-risk areas, including bodies of water and mountain peaks and tall buildings. You want to hear the funny part? Study said more than 72% of the deaths were men, and drowning was the most common cause of death during the selfie-taking attempt. So here you are on the edge. I've got to get myself. <laughs> My picture at the Grand Canyon. Doesn't that speak for itself? We're so self of it, you will die by selfie. Anybody believe what I'm saying here? Die by selfie. It's all about, it's not my, you know, it's all about me. Jesus said, your problem is we're, we're so consumed with what we want and our stuff and the toys we can get and all the junk of the world our church, if I can, you know, as an outsider coming in, it looks like the world really is the priority. The kingdom is not. That's why so many things are left in neglect. So many jobs aren't fulfilled. Still can't get people to help in Awana or junior church or whatever it happens to be. And that's only a little piddly. It's not, you know, no time. Look at this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. You remember how they would worry, what are we going to do? He said, follow me. And they would follow him. Sometimes they left everything, those crazies, you know. And by the way, he doesn't want everybody to quit their job and follow, you know. He's going to take care of us. He says, get your priorities right. So he says, stop worrying. That was what he was trying to say. Stop worrying. Don't you think your heavenly father cares about you? You know, little birdies, he knows about them falling down. My wife and I, where we moved in Pine Bush, we have the, the uh, deer come in the backyard Every so often, I Sherry, come on down. The kitties are in the backyard. You know, I like to watch the deer. It's a, God cares about them, right? Don't you think you're more valuable than that? That's what he said to his disciples. So he said, would you stop worrying already? And he said it like that, too, because he was Jewish. So <laughs> let's go. Let's get that verse up there. There is a verse in Luke somewhere. There it is. For all these things, the nations of the world eagerly seek. Get that? Why do you want to be like them? Your father knows that you need these things. Who knows? Your father knows. Seek for his kingdom and these things shall be added to you. Yes, put God first and he'll take care of what you really need and even what you really want. problem you have is you don't even know what you want half the time. We don't. All right. These things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock. This is what I love. For your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Which would you rather have? Yeah. Fear not, little flock. Don't be afraid, little flock. By the way, that's the last group. There is a little flock here. Praise the Lord. His disciples, people who want to follow him, there is a little flock. Every member of the assembly of believers, true believers, if they are engaged, become part of that little flock. We have to be engaged to be involved, to build it up, to build up the kingdom. Those, the, you guys, um, and I don't care, one thing is enough. Just find something good to do. Anybody remember Tom Rayner? We, we get all of his, you know, emails, and I've got, I've literally, I almost brought it over today. I've got two 
loose leaf binders this thick of all his stuff, cataloged. I made, I made Jody work like crazy to catalog it all. After a while, it gets redundant. If you want a survey to try to address some of our attitudes, it's in this book. If you've never seen it because you're new here, we have extra copies. They're free. We give them away, okay? It's called, I'm a church member. It's not called, help, I'm a church member. It's called, I am a church member. Discovering the attitude that makes the difference. And what it is, is very simple. Not inward focused, outward focused. Not all about me. How can I serve? Not have I had everything make me happy today, but how can I go serve and bring joy or peace to somebody? That kind of a thing. If we really look up and see God as he is, those kind of things start to happen. Get our mind off of ourself and find some way to serve. One of the things Rainer said, and you may remember this, I read it one Sunday morning. If I'm going to see renewal in my church, real renewal, not just, okay, the patient's alive, but I want to, I want to run a 5K. One of the things he said is, I will wake up to reality. That was one. And the other one he said was, you need to embrace radical change. Radical change. Maybe it's your personal schedule. You need to change some things so you can serve God in a tangible way. But radical change. If I can be blunt, in our history here, removing the pews was not radical change. Changing the name is not radical change. It's Mickey Mouse. It's all Mickey Mouse. Radical change is a complete turn of focus. This is not for me to get. It's how do we build on the kingdom work. Years ago, I, I came across a whole bunch of inspirational posters. Remember those inspirational posters when they came out? You know, integrity, courage. And then they started doing humorous ones, you know, that were, you know, failure. Maybe your life is simply a model for everyone else to stay away from or something like that. You know, it's weird stuff like that. <laughs> Anyway, I found this great poster. You ready for this? The winner of the Not My Job Award. I lived in Arizona. Isn't that classic? For those of you who can't make it out, it's a possum that has been flattened, and the paint of the road stripes went right over the possum. Because whoever the road team was, it wasn't their job to scrape up a dead possum. a lot of things that aren't my job that I've done. Everybody needs to find their part. Trust God. It does take work. Also trust God. It doesn't mean overwork. We live in an insane culture. Run, run, run. Oh, how are you? I'm busy. That's the answer you need to give to validate yourself. I'm busy. Everybody's busy. What are you going to do to unbusy? By the way, part of the spiritual journey is not working harder and, and wearing yourself out, it's, right? It's working better. Let me, let me just read something from my, uh, one of my favorite guys, John Ortberg, The Life You've Always Wanted. I've referenced this before. He's got a chapter called The Unhurried Life. This is just a sidebar because when you talk like this, 
I know people, some people are cringing. I feel sick for the saints who have carried churches for years. They've done everything. It's like they need a break. And we need the new generation to rise up, and we need some of the other people who've been taking, taking, taking to step up. But I'm not talking about working harder and killing yourself. So John Ortberg was growing in his spiritual life. He was serving in a huge church in the Midwest. And um, he called a mentor, a spiritually-minded man, and he asked him, he said, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? Now, if you had somebody that knew something and you asked that question, wouldn't you be all ears to see what he's going to say? And here's what he said. There was a long pause. And his mentor said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. He said, at last, another long pause. Okay, I've written that one down, I told him a little impatiently. That's a good one. Now what else is there? I had many things to do, and this was a long-distance conversation, so I was anxious to cram as many units of spiritual wisdom into the least amount of time as possible. Another long pause. There is nothing else, he said. Do number one. Remember the karate karate kid, right? Number one. For self-defense only. What's number two? Learn number one. There is nothing else. From an immense quiver of spiritual sagacity, he drew only one arrow. There is nothing else, he said. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You're frazzled because you're doing things God is not asking you to do. I'm, I'm serious. Elizabeth Elliot, that great saint, she said, there's enough time in every day to do all the will of God. So what else have you got jammed in there that's messing it up? Wouldn't you like to start this hobby, Pastor John? No. How about this one? No. Thank you. Thank you. Sounds like fun. Enjoy. So, I think about where we're at and our outward focus. What are you conveying? Even when you're in here on Sunday, I've interacted with neighbors. I'm going to be interacting with new neighbors now. One neighbor has views very different from yours. And he says to me, we're going to come to your church. And I almost had a heart attack. I'm serious. What will he encounter if he dialogues? Can you be quiet about politics for one morning? Can you stop about your business for one morning? Can you just talk Jesus for one morning? Made me nervous. A sister on our team here admitted in a group meeting I was ashamed of where I went to church. Aren't you grateful? We've come far enough that that's not how they feel anymore. Thank you, Jesus. But we still have some work to do. We need to be thinking. We're not here just to get this morning. We're here. What about who are these other? Who are these visitors? Who? We're here for them. I think about 2020. You really think we're ready for 2020? 
a lot. You're going to start in count. I've got one in my neighborhood. You're going to have same-sex couples with children who may want to put them in Sunday school. What are you going to do? How are we going to embrace them? How are we going to help? It has nothing to do with what's right and wrong. What's right, we know what's right. How do we move people from one place to the next without being either aghast or judgmental, superior, unapproachable? I think the churches have plenty of that already. Don't need more of it. See why we're not ready for 2020. The jury's still out. But there's a little flock, thank God. I got to tell you, you little flock people who are hungry and like feeding, you keep me alive, all right? You do. Listening to me? Okay. Okay. And there's groups of us. And we move in and out, right? We move between. I don't want to do the therapy move, you know, to the, to the little flock, right? We go a little bit, float back. Anybody else feel that way? I do. I have, one of my leaders asked me straight up, what group am I in? That was so refreshing. He asked me straight up, what group? And I told him the truth. And he didn't punch me. <laughs> I'm so happy. That's little flock material. You see what I'm saying? Be blessed. Stop being afraid, little flock. Your father has delighted himself in giving you the kingdom. Stop sleeping through my message. Hey, recall, there's a great story in the Old Testament. You'll recognize this. And this is one of the dangers for preachers, dumb preachers like me, right? You know, remember Elijah calls down fire from heaven, kills all the prophets of Baal. Boy, those were the days. Man, quit fooling around. Let's just do this. And what happens? Jezebel said, I'm going to take your head off of you today. (laughs) Off he runs. Boy, I relate. I get this guy. I totally get this guy. Runs for his life. He's exhausted. Angels come and minister him. Here, eat something, you jerk. Come on. And so finally God says, and I heard a great sermon on this. People didn't like it, but I think there was some truth in it. You know, he runs away and he's saying to God, I've been zealous for the Lord and nobody's standing with me. Everybody's against me. I think I'll eat some worms. You know, that whole thing. And God says, be quiet. There's 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. I've got my people. I've got my little flock. Now, here's what he says. Let's go look up here. And the Lord said to him, go and return on you. Go back where you came from, is how one of the versions says. Go back the way you came. Go back. You shouldn't be here. Go back. Now, by the way, God cared for him and loved him, obviously. That's why I like him. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazazel. That guy. Hazazel. King over Aram. And Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. There is a growing little flock. This weighs on me, the future, 2020. I have told you I'm not your long-term future. I don't have enough mileage left. I don't. But thank God he's raising up chans 
And he's raising up other men and women to lead. He's given us younger staff, people that can be invested in. There is another generation rising up. And God says to Elijah, one of the greatest prophets they ever saw in Israel, anoint Elisha in your place as prophet. Brothers and sisters, some of us need to let go of the controls and hand it over to the next generation. In fact, let me be really blunt. How many of you who have all these little jobs that you do in the church that you think are that important, how many of you have somebody in the shoot getting trained to do exactly what you are able to do? I had to say to our deacons, that, that baptistry should never have a conflict on a Sunday morning. There should be at least five people who can fill that thing, take care of it. Suppose Brian, who's one of those go-getter type guys, is uh, feeling ill on a Sunday. You get what I'm saying. And that's just a physical thing. What about leading people to Christ? What about discipling them in their faith? What about Bible answers? What about all of that stuff? Who's in the shoot? Anoint that person in your place, all right? Not not willy-nilly. Don't go crazy here. I always tell you, don't do anything until you ask me. But anyway, you need to be thinking about that. The future, 2020 and 2030, if we last that long. Who's going to be the spiritual vibrancy of that time? So, I'm going to close with this. Had enough? Are you, are you mad? Can't do anything about it. You remember this hashtag we did? Pray for one. Remember that? How many of us forgot about it already? You don't have to raise your hand. I haven't forgotten it, but I haven't been doing it. Right? Haven't been doing it. Now I go in and out. But I've got some people that are my ones. I'm using that as an illustration because this is where we need to be intentional into the future. I have some assignments for this assembly. Here they are. One, figure out whether you're in the little flock or not. If you're not in the little flock, why don't you join it? That's the first thing. Now, to the little flock, those of you who really want God and not just church, not a game, you want God. Okay? Unbelief is still our besetting sin. Your first assignment is pray against it. Pray against it. It's a bondage here. Pray against it. This prayer meeting tonight, pray against it. And you don't have to just be here tonight. That's not the point. Pray against the unbelief. What we need here is authentic spirituality. You don't need dead religion. It doesn't work. You don't need new programs. I'm even going to say this. You may want to try it. You can get a robot priest or you can get a new preacher with a bag of tricks that will come in. That won't do it. What will do it? Authentic, spiritually alive saints is what will attract people to spiritual reality. That's what you want. So pray against the unbelief. True worshipers. We need God and we need his life spilling over on us. And then I want to reboot two prayer requests. That's one. Who's the one you're looking at? Not a wayward saint. That's okay if you want to add them to your list. Who is the non-believer? Who is the person you're rubbing shoulders with who thinks completely different from you? Who is it? 
And God, you know, it was fun. I got, I got, I had to read a little of that. Um, well, doesn't matter. Now nah, it wasn't Rainer. It was the one I hate. E.M. Bounds. And I'm kidding. I don't hate him. You know, power through prayer. And I'm like, Lord, Lord, I need, I need that fresh influx of the spirit, you know. And God opened two or three times to speak clearly for Jesus in the last couple of weeks. It was like, gee, is there a connection? Duh. Pray for one. Pray against the unbelief. Pray for one. I'm going to ask one more. We did this at the end of last year. I asked you, do you want the spirit to show up here? Then pray for the Holy Spirit to touch down. That's your assignment. Okay. If you're here today and you know that you're off the wall somewhere spiritually, who cares what anybody thinks? This is our altar. Come and lay yourself out before God and ask him to meet with you. That's what we need. Let's stand together as we close. Suntight. First, God, I want to give you glory, honor, and praise that you are the king of heaven, the maker of heaven and earth, the sustainer of all that is, and you are the redeemer of broken, rebellious humanity. Every one of us in the room who has been bought by the blood of Jesus and knows that we've been given the gift of life, say, thank you. We say, thank you. Is anybody going to say thank you? Thank you. Amen. We give you praise for rescuing us. We thank you for that. And Lord, we don't want to be unprofitable, but profitable servants. And so, Lord Jesus, Bless your little flock with illumination, with growth, with spiritual power, because your Father in heaven, you said our Father has gladly given us the kingdom. Thank you for your saints here. Thanks you for their patience with their uh, limited leader. And thank you, God, that you have not forsaken us. Thank you that we are out of the hospital. Thank you that we can do the therapy. And thank you, Lord, that there's a real chance that we could run this marathon and be able to look back and say, look at the people who came to faith, whose lives were changed forever, who have been added to the kingdom, that one day when I stand before you and worship around the throne, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be there, and so will people be that we have touched as we worship you together. We praise you and thank you. In the great name of Jesus, angelically protect your body. Holy Spirit, strive with your people. In the great name of Jesus, we pray and all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a good day. The altar is open for prayer. Any elders, come on up.